where we're talking, looking at a church worth talking about. And we're looking at the church of Antioch, uh, and we're looking at uh, Acts chapter 11, and that's what we'll be looking at this morning, and considering a number of aspects of this church uh, that are relevant for us today, that we can learn from and that we can apply to ourselves. Last week, we looked about the whole issue of being courageous in faith, how they were a church that was filled with courageous faith. And this week we're going to be looking at the whole aspect of being radically inclusive. And so we're going to read uh, from Acts chapter 11. The verses will come up behind me on the screen. So you can follow them if you haven't got your Bible with you. Uh, Acts chapter uh, chapter 11 verse 19 to verse 26. And I'm just going to read them now. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and he saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. I don't know if you remember when you were in school and uh, you were in the schoolyard uh, and you played, uh, uh, probably big groups of you played games together. As lads, when I was in school uh, in uh, Parklands, it's a school in Swansea, And uh, I just remember, we'd be in the schoolyard and uh, all the boys would gather together at break time or dinner time and uh, we'd we'd play football with a tennis ball. And um, what would happen is, uh, each, uh, uh, each, uh, we would, the two best players, uh, the two most popular people uh, would be captains. And uh, what would happen, everybody would line up and then one by one they'd pick a player that wanted... Uh, the, the player they wanted on their team. So the first, first one who would have first choice, he'd pick one, and uh, the next one would pick someone. And then slowly the numbers would get whittled down. And uh, this would, uh, uh, the first people who invariably got picked were the best players. Uh, then it, uh, it was also the players, that, uh, their friends, close friends, that sort of thing. And as the numbers got smaller and smaller, that's when the horse trading started. And uh, you'd start to get to the end, and uh, you get to the you get to the bottom of the pile, and uh, you could see they were the captives were starting to struggle because they they actually didn't want these people on their team. And so what you would have is you would uh, have you'd say, oh Johnny, um, I'll tell you what, we'll give you two players. Uh, well, we'll take two of your players if you have Johnny. And uh, this horse trading would go on and you could see these kids who were left at the, at the end 
I remember a friend of mine called Lofty. He's often at the bottom of the pile when uh, picking players uh, 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 was happening. And you could see their, their just self-esteem slowly disintegrating. Bit by bit, uh, week by week, happens every, every day, all through a period of time in their school life. These certain people weren't wanted and they knew that they weren't wanted. It's a horrible, horrible feeling. They knew that they were just making up the numbers. How many of us, like uh, Donkey in the film Shrek, have spent our lives on the outside but desperate to be included and in our hearts have been crying out, pick me, pick me. There's something in our hearts, isn't it, that well, we don't want to be excluded, we don't want to be left out, we hate it when we're left out and we can see other people being chosen and we're being excluded. I can think of several instances of people who I've known over the years who were deliberately excluded when they were in school or when they were at home and they still bear the scars of it today. Maybe there are some of you here today who've lived your lives under the shadow of this sort of rejection. I remember my own grandmother. My own grandmother grew up knowing that her sister Jessie was her mother's favourite. Grew up under the cloud and lived under the cloud of it for 83 years. That her mother preferred her younger sister and didn't love her as much. What a horrible feeling. The scars of that ran deep in my grandmother's life and it affected the way she brought up her children and it has impacts, it's had impacts on me through my father. Scars run deep. But the good news this morning is that the Bible is full of people who experience rejection, the sense of being excluded, only to find the acceptance that they craved and desired in a relationship with God. In the Old Testament, there's a character called Jacob. Jacob uh, grows up knowing that his father loves his his, his brother Esau more than him. It says that uh, Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah the mother loved Jacob. What a horrible environment to grow up in. And, and so Jacob grew up desperately wanting his father's approval, his father's acceptance, his father's love, and uh, would do anything to get it. And so he tried to steal his brother's birthright just so he could hear once in his life his father say, Son, I love you totally and completely. He was prepared to be thrown out of the family and have to leave the family home just to hear his father say it once, even under deception. And do you know what? That didn't satisfy him. He spent uh, much of his life trying to find love and complete acceptance. And he eventually encountered God at a place called Jabbok, and God met him and there, that night, he found a God who totally accepted him and loved him for who he was. And his life changed at that moment. The Bible's full of stories of people who were rejected but found acceptance in God. You see, the message of the Bible is that there's a radically inclusive God in heaven. Hallelujah. Jesus himself was the most inclusive person that this world has ever seen. He was just like his father. You remember the group of disciples he gathered around him, the twelve he gathered around him. They were a right bunch. You had Peter, 
He was a hothead, always shouting his mouth off. James and John came from a family that was very position-focused, very important to them where they were going to be, their standing, their position. Matthew was a dodgy tax collector. Thomas was a natural skeptic. And several of the others had dangerous political leanings. Only Jesus would have included these people in his team. And also, wherever Jesus went, he went with open arms. Wherever Jesus went, he accepted and included people. It was only those who wouldn't accept him and uh, rejected what he said that were ever turned away. He accepted young and old. Remember his attitude towards little children. He accepted the good and the bad, the moral and the immoral. He accepted convicted criminals. He accepted social outcasts. People the world wanted nothing to do with. Jesus was the one that accepted them and included them. Lepers who'd never known human, uh, someone uh, uh, who was normal, who was, didn't have leprosy, had never known their touch, or hadn't known their touch for years. Jesus was the one that touched them. Jesus was the one that made them feel included. Jesus was the one that made them feel loved. Jesus included people. It didn't matter what you'd done, no one was beyond the grace of Jesus. Hallelujah. He was wonderful. It was no wonder the ordinary people of the day loved him. They loved him. It was the religious people, the the people who were upright, who uh, had a problem with Jesus. Cryptically, Jesus said of himself, he said this in John chapter 12, verse 32, And when I am lifted up on the cross, I will draw everyone to myself. What was Jesus talking about? Well, actually, Jesus was referring to the gospel. Jesus uh, was referring to the good news that God radically includes men and women in his family because of what Jesus was going to do on the cross when he was lifted up between heaven and earth. You see, Jesus left heaven where he never experienced rejection. He experienced total acceptance for eternity. Jesus, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit were together in perfect relationship. And yet God so loved the world, he was willing to break that relationship and allow Jesus and ask Jesus to come to earth so that we might be included in his family. God didn't need us. God doesn't need relationship with us as if there's a hole in his heart that only can be filled with us being around. But God in his grace has chosen to include us. And so he sent Jesus, Jesus who'd only ever known acceptance, came to this sin-sick world where the Bible says he was despised and rejected by men. Jesus experienced rejection. And he experienced the ultimate rejection on the cross when God, his Father, turned his back on him because Jesus was punished for our sin. God punished Jesus for our sin on the cross and turned his back on him. And at that moment, Jesus on the cross cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Jesus was forsaken on the cross. Jesus was rejected that people like you and me who were rejected might know total and complete acceptance in a relationship with God. That is the good news of the gospel. We have a God in heaven who is radically inclusive. Paul sums this up in Romans 8, verses 35 to 39, when he asks, who will separate us? Who shall separate us from the love of God? And as you read that wonderful passage, it concludes uh, with Paul saying, nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God because of what Jesus has done and accomplished on the cross. He who was rejected for us, that we might be accepted. That is amazing. That is amazing. Dr. Campbell Morgan, who was uh, the minister at Westminster Chapel before Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he was applying for the Wesleyan ministry, he passed the exams, but he had to pass a preaching test. And uh, he went for this test. It was a big church, about a thousand-seater. There was about 50, 60, 70 people present and three people who were listening to his preaching and going to pass or fail him on his preaching. And a few weeks later, he heard that he was one of the 150 applicants who had been rejected. I mean, he was really dismayed, and he, t- he cabled his father the news. And he just cabled him the one word, rejected. And very quickly, his father replied with this, rejected on earth, accepted in heaven. And that's the glorious truth. If you're a believer, whatever happens to you in this life, because of Jesus, you will always be accepted now and forever in eternity. Accepted in heaven. We have a God who is radically inclusive. And you know, in all that he did, Jesus set an example for us, his followers. Jesus expects us to be the most inclusive people on the face of the earth. And this is what we see in Antioch. You see, Antioch was originally a Greek settlement. And uh, uh, by the time of the uh, events of Acts 11, the city was made up of principally Syrians and Greeks and a small number of Jews. And it would have been so easy for the believers from Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch to just preach to Jews. Instead, we're told, they began to speak to Greeks also. They'd grasped something of Jesus' radically inclusive nature. They'd realized that the church was never intended to be a private club for the benefit of a few. My dad used to belong to a men's club in Sketty, uh, where we lived. And uh, it was a club that you could uh, only uh, join by invitation. And then there was a committee, and there was, all, there was a committee meeting, and the committee members had a white ball and a black ball, and the bag was passed around, and when the name came up, you could blackball someone and stop them becoming a member. It was really exclusive. Sadly, too many churches become exclusive, not inclusive. That's really sad. God doesn't want us to be like that. Paul tells us that God's purpose in creating the church was to create in himself one new man in Christ, we're told in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. You see, all of us were outside God's kingdom. We were dead 
in our sins, our rebellion, our wrongdoing, things that kept us from a relationship with God. But God has made a way through his love by sending Jesus to the cross. He saved us. And this salvation is free, it's unmerited for all who put their faith in him. And when we do, we become fellow citizens, members of God's new family, part of God's household. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 says this, His intent was that now, God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known. I don't know if you've ever looked at a stained glass window. And if you look at a stained glass window in a church, and uh, it's a dark day, you look at it, and it can look all a bit dark and dreary, and you can see there's different coloured pieces of glass. What the artist does, he puts different shaped pieces of glass, different colours, and uh, they're all bound together, all held together in this uh, uh, window, this stained glass window. And it can, it can look in a dark church, it can look a little bit dreary. But when the sun shines the other side of the window and you're standing and you're looking, you see the splendour and the wonder of what this artist has done. You see the beauty of the different colours and the different shapes coming through. It is amazing. That is what God has done with the church. We're all different size and shapes with different skills and different abilities from different backgrounds and different places, different colours. And yet God has bound us all radically together in Jesus Christ through the cross and through his mercy. And it's when the light of the Holy Spirit shines through and into the church that you suddenly see the wonder, the manifold wisdom of God being revealed. It's amazing. It is staggering that people like us can love one another so deeply. It is the work of God. It is the grace of God. And the world should stand staggered when they see the grace of God amongst us. The radically inclusive church. Hallelujah. You see, the church should reflect the whole spectrum of society in terms of age, social status, marital status, and ethnicity. And so whilst we live in what's predominantly a white middle class area, we should reflect something of God's manifold wisdom to the world around us. And as we come to this second week, looking at a church we're talking about, we see a church reflecting the heart of Jesus. This church is radically inclusive. Radically inclusive. It was filled with ordinary people, just like you and me. And if we're to be a church like this, then there's much for us to learn from their example. And there are three things I quickly want to draw out this morning, which I believe made the church in Antioch so radical. And the first thing we need to understand is this. We need to understand how to estimate ourselves rightly. You see, as we understand Barnabas, this character, this central character in the passage we've read, it's a key to appreciating what the church in Antioch was like. He was sent from Jerusalem to check out what was going on. He was thrilled at what he saw. We're told he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. 
It seems his arrival resulted in another spurt of salvation, people being saved, a great number of people we're told. I mean, if that had been me in those circumstances and I turned up uh, in a church, I turned up in Winchester and hundreds of people got saved, I'd be thinking, whoa, I'm the man. Look Look at what's happened. I've turned up and loads of people have got saved. What did Barnabas do? Barnabas was thrilled. What did he do? He immediately, he, he understood that he didn't have all the tools necessary. He immediately thought, wow, God has done an amazing thing. We need some other people in here to help this work along. I need Saul. And off he goes to Tarsus to find Saul to bring him in. Wow. He understood himself. He didn't think, hey, oh, I'm the man, I can deal with this. God, more people. He didn't do that. He went and he drew other people. He understood himself rightly. He had a clear view of his strengths and weaknesses. He knew what he was gifted at. And he knew when it was time to get others involved. No wonder that's exactly why the apostles sent him to Antioch. And he invites Saul to come and join the team. And together they taught this young and thriving group of believers for a year. I mean, he understood his... Uh, himself, he understood his gifting and he knew that the church needed someone like Saul. And I want to suggest that that's key for us as individuals and as a church if we're going to be radically inclusive. When we, uh, Jesus tells a, a parable in Luke chapter 18, he tells a parable about people who have a very high opinion of themselves and they look down on other people. And as you read that parable, you can see that when we put others down, when we start despising other people, and when we're elevating ourselves, it's a dangerous thing. You see, sometimes it's obvious, but sometimes it's very subtle. Paul, in writing to the believers in Rome, puts it like this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourselves with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. That's the context for understanding how we operate as a church. Don't think of yourself too highly. Paul tells us we need to soberly assess ourselves. If we have a very high view of ourselves, there's a danger we tend to despise others and they are going to feel unwanted and unloved and rejected. I remember some years ago listening uh, in a, uh, it, was a, it was a bit like West Point. We were camping down in Fairthorn Manor and I remember being in my tent and listening to some people in a caravan talk. And I remember hearing someone say this. They were talking about Reinhard Bonker. If you don't know Reinhard Bonker, he has a preaching ministry through Africa and he preaches sometimes to hundreds of thousands of people and was doing so at the time. And uh, this person was saying, Reinhard Bonker, he said, I could do that. He's just had the brakes. If I had the brakes that Reinhard Bonker had had, I could do that. I mean, what a crazy way to talk. Thinking of himself so highly. How foolish is that? You see, we don't want to be a people who despise others so that they feel unwanted and loved, simply because we think so much of ourselves. You see, lots of Christians think they're something 
They're not. To use Paul's analogy of a church as a body, which he uses in 1 Corinthians 12. I mean, too many ears want to be feet. And of course, an ear can never be a foot. I mean, it's foolish, isn't it? That's what Paul is saying. It just won't work. There are so many people, for example, who they want to be leaders, but they're not leaders. There are so many people who uh, want to uh, think they're prophetic, and really they're just great encouragers. And why I say that is not to belittle anyone and discourage anyone, it's to encourage us to have a sober assessment of ourselves and our gift. God wants us to find our place in the body of Christ and serve in the way that he wants us to. He wants us to understand ourselves. You see, the truth is, if you're a leader, people follow you. If you're a shepherd, sheep follow you. If sheep won't follow you, you're not a shepherd. You may wear a shepherd's clothes and you may have a shepherd's crook, but if the sheep won't follow you, you're not a shepherd. Is that a problem? No, it just means you're not a shepherd. That's okay. You're just not a shepherd. As well as that, you see, you can have too low a view of yourself. You can have the Uriah Heap syndrome. Oh, I'm very humble, Mr. Copperfield. And really, it's just self-sanctimonious pride. You can just be just as proud with that sort of attitude. Have a very humble, no, put, don't put yourself forward. And actually, you're, you're starving the body of Christ of your gifts, because you're, you let other people, you're always saying, oh, I can't do that, I'm not very good. And when you do that, actually, you're not doing what you're should, you should be doing. You just allow yourself to sit back and do nothing. God, doesn't, God isn't impressed with that either. He wants you to have a sober assessment of yourself. God wants us to appreciate ourselves so that we can fully appreciate other people. If you don't understand yourself, if, you don't have, if you're not able to assess yourself correctly, you will not be able to have a, a right view of other people. We need to be those who estimate ourselves rightly. Secondly, we need to be those who embrace people who are different. The church at Antioch was already marked by this characteristic. It was radically inclusive of Greek Believers, when Barnabas got to Antioch and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he went and brought Saul to Antioch. And he'd already, as you read through the book of Acts, he'd already done something similar when he brought Saul to the apostles in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 9. It's easy to miss what a great risk this was. You see, in the first church that, uh, that Saul joined... Uh, it says that he starts preaching and he caused such a ruckus with his preaching that the church in Damascus had to let him out of the window in a basket just to get him out because he was causing such a furor. He then ends up uh, in the church in Jerusalem and again he ch he's challenging with his preaching but he causes such a stir that the apostles say, Hey Paul, quick. We need you to go away to Tarsus. And they send him off to Tarsus. And it says, interestingly, after he goes to Tarsus, he says that the church, it says that the church experienced a period of peace and growth. I mean, this guy was a handful to have around. You've got to understand that the church in Antioch was thriving and growing. And so Barnabas goes and he brings this guy in. This was a risky step. 
But Barnabas saw something in him that he knew was what the church needed. He embraced someone who was very different. How's that relevant to us? Let me use an illustration which I hope will help you. When you have an athletics race, you have a track. And some parts of the track have lines drawn on them. Now, there are some people who uh, love lines. There are some people in life who love lines, okay? They want to know where the lines are, and when you tell them where the lines are, they're going to run true and straight between those lines. doesn't matter where they are, you say, there's the lines, they're going to go, great, that's what I wanted to know, they're off. And they'll run between the lines all day. There are some people who hate lines. And uh, when they run, they're going to weave all over the track. They're going to go left. They're going to go right. They're going to go in the right direction, but they can't bear lines. They hate being told to run in lines. They find it restrictive. They find it inhibiting. Now, I want to say to you this. Sometimes in the church, we can be a bit like that. There's some of us who like things done in certain ways, don't we? We like lines. And there are other people who think, oh, we don't like lines. We just want to run wherever we can. Now, we need to understand that neither is right. Neither is right. Both sides need to learn something. Those who love lines need to understand it's okay sometimes for people to run outside lines. As long as they're going in the right direction, that's okay. As long as they're staying on the track, that's okay. Now, the people who like, don't like lines and they like weaving around, they need to know you've got to stay on the track. You've got to go in the right direction. You just can't go and do whatever you like. And you need to appreciate people who run within lines. We need to understand that we need to be able to include one another. We don't want to be a church where both sides are whacking each other, saying those people, they won't run within lines. They they are they do what I want them to do. And the other people say, oh, they're just too controlling. They're too... We need to understand and appreciate one another. We need to include one another. We need each other if we're going to uh, see a church that's radically inclusive. Let me give you some helpful keys. First one is this. Don't be judgmental. Treat people with a measure of grace you'd want to be treated with yourself. Always look for the positive. Always look for the positive in other people. Don't focus on something that's negative. It's so easy, isn't it? We're so easy focus on the negative in people. Focus on the positive. It talks in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And I'll read this out. It, It won't come up on the screen behind you. But this is a a great little verse. I think it's a real encouraging little verse for us. And I'm talking like that so I a bit longer so I can find it. And this is what it says. Giving away little secrets there. This is what it says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We need to focus on the positive. We need to be people who look for the positive. We need to make space for people. 
We need to make space for them to grow into what God has gifted them to do. And what God has gifted them to do is it's where God clearly is blessing, where there's clearly growth, where there's clearly God is doing something in their lives and it's good. We need to encourage and make space for it. Community group leaders, maybe that's someone in your community group who you see a particular gift. You need to give space for them, a bit of space to encourage them. Don't, need to, don't give them too much too quickly, but give them a bit of space to grow. Give them a bit of room to flourish. See what happens. Maybe there are people here who are really good welcomers. They're just so friendly. And you see it and you think, hey, they would be really good to get into the welcome team. Maybe that's too difficult for them, but you maybe just need to get alongside them and encourage them. Hey, you're really good at welcoming. Encourage them in it. Give them a bit of space. We need to make space for people and make gifts. You see, we need to remember we all need each other. We're a body. We're not a group of individuals. I remember I used to play for a school team, and we were uh, all actually quite good football players. But we all loved ourselves, and we never played as a team. We all loved ourselves. We all thought we were good and cool. We all you know, went on the pitch with immaculate kick collars turned up. We looked the business, but we couldn't play as a team. And for the first two years, we lost every game. Sometimes we'd lose one. We'd look the business. Before the game, we were brilliant. We could knock it around first touch. When it came to the game, we never played as a team. We got hammered every week. Hammered everywhere. Really, that's what it was like. Miserable. Until we learned to play as a team. While we were away at West Point, uh, Hazel Flood from Bournemouth brought a prophetic word. And I sort of feel it ties in for a few people here today who perhaps feel on the edge. And I just want to read it to you. Because I just sort of felt it was, it was really relevant. And uh, you need to take out West Point and uh, insert Winchester Family Church. While we've been at West Point, I've been aware of a couple of questions in my mind. Where's the weight and who's carrying the weight? I believe that the time away has brought people to a place of wanting to carry more weight in their churches, to be part of what God makes their church really work. I feel it particularly for those who've always thought of themselves as free spirits, those that like to travel light and are not really joiners. Now you're realising that you're missing out by hanging back and want to get in there and be part of what makes your church really work. So I urge you to throw yourselves into your church when you get back. Don't be satisfied with a bank of missed opportunities and regrets, but build a rich storehouse of precious memories of risks taken and battles won. I want to encourage you God wants you to be part of this church. He wants us to be a people, ourselves, to embrace people who are different. God wants you to be here amongst us. And I would say, don't sit on the fringes anymore. Come and do the foundations course. Come and make sure we're on the same page. But come and get involved in church life. We want to be a church that includes other people. But we also, thirdly, want to be a church that encourages others to reach their full potential in God. See, the church in Antioch was not a monument to one man's ministry. It was a church of ordinary people. Ross Patterson in the Antioch Factor says this. He says, Antioch was the church of the ordinary people. 
Nobody took the credit, but each one had space to be what they might be in God. It was born out of anonymous men and women who had little to distinguish them except for one key factor. They loved Jesus and they wanted others to love him too. See, to be an Antioch church requires that ordinary people have a place. When we come across Barnabas in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 4, we're told his, his name was Joseph. But the other, other believers called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. I mean, this guy lived up to his name. If it hadn't been for his encouragement, Paul or John Mark would never have reached their full potential in God. And it's the ministry of people like Barnabas that holds Antioch churches together. And the result of their ministry is seen in the lives of other people. Why is encouragement so needed? Hebrews, the writer to Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 says, Encourage one another daily. I mean, you can criticize someone once and it can finish them for the rest of their life. You can encourage someone once and it's not enough. You need to encourage one another daily. That's what Barnabas was like. He encouraged everywhere he went. Too many people feel that they have nothing to give. And yet, as far as God is concerned, that couldn't be further from the truth. And whether it be helping serve on a catering team, committing to pray for people in your community group, whether it's serving... Uh, on one of the many projects we're involved with, on the farmer's market, the soup service, or whatever it is, whether it's leading an area of work, in God's eyes, all are equally are important and valuable. And we need to encourage one another in this daily. You see, an elder is no more important than anyone else. It's just someone who is simply fulfilling the call that God has called them to. God has things for each one of you to do. And once you fully grasp it, it's incredibly releasing. It's also challenging because you can't be a pew warmer anymore, a seat warmer anymore. So for us to be a radically inclusive Antioch church where everybody's looking to fulfill their God-given potential, we need lots of encouragers like Barnabas. And if you're going to be an encourager like Barnabas, then you need to be like Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. It's not something you can do in your own strength. You need to be daily filled with the Spirit. Daily be filled with the Spirit. You mustn't tell people just what they want to hear. Encouragers don't just tell people what they want to hear. A flattering mouth works ruin, we're told in the Proverbs. We need to build on what God is doing in people's lives. That's why Barnabas was such a good encourager. He saw what God was doing and then he encouraged people in what he saw God was doing. You need to be looking at what God's doing in people's lives. And you need to remember that encouragement is more than just words. It's more than just saying, oh, I just want to encourage you. It's helping them. It's helping people find space to grow in God. That's what Barnabas did. He made space for people to grow in God, even to the point there he took a back seat. When you read about Barnabas and Paul, uh, Saul at the beginning, it was Barnabas and Saul who became Paul, changed his name. And then after a, a, a chapter, it suddenly turns around and it becomes Paul and Barnabas. 
Barnabas was prepared to take a back seat. He encouraged, he was just encouraging Paul to be all that he could be. If it hadn't been for Barnabas, I'm not sure that Paul would have been the man that we read about in the New Testament. We want to be encouragers. Encourage others to reach their full potential in God. I'm going to finish here. I'm going to finish with a quote. It's from the Antioch Factor. I'd just like you to listen to this and leave you with this challenge. In that change of mentality by those who planted the church, Antioch became an inclusive rather than an exclusive church. It didn't exclude people from the right to hear of the love of Jesus because they were not Jews or for any other ethnic or social reason. The fledgling church at Antioch tackled that issue at its inception with great courage. It's no wonder believers were first called Christians, Christ-like ones at Antioch. Jesus, who himself was radically inclusive, was pleased to allow them to be given his name. The essential question then that we have to ask ourselves is simply this. Is everybody of whatever background, colour, race or social status welcome in our church? Does the Lord have the right to redirect us to any group that may be on his heart? Some have settled and find it harder and harder to grow because they are exclusive and not inclusive. We have a radically inclusive God who wants us to be a radically inclusive people. Let's, we're just going to spend some time now. We're going to put this uh, uh, into practice in a, in a very practical way. Musicians are going to come out. And we're going to, just for uh, the next five, ten minutes, we're going to break bread together. The children's workers uh, uh, will know that we're going to just run slightly late this morning. But I'm just going to read some verses from Isaiah, and I'd just like you to meditate on them. This is what it says of Jesus. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus went to the cross that we might never need to know rejection. We can know the acceptance of God which satisfies in this life and in the life to come. And so we're going to break bread together. We remember we're going to break the bread, which is 
reminds us of Jesus' body broken for us. The stewards are just uh, going to come and prepare that. And the wine, the wine reminds us of Jesus' blood shed for us on the cross. And as the stewards prepare the bread and the wine, we're going to, musicians are going to play quietly in the background. And what I'd like you to do, I'd like you to break bread. Maybe you need to, going to break bread with someone you've not broken bread with before. This is a sign that we are accepted by God because of what Jesus has done. And as we do it, we're remembering that we're one body together. We're celebrating the fact that we are part of the household and family of God. You know, if you've come here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you want to be part of his, this new family, this household of God, you can do that. As we break bread, just you don't need to take the bread and wine, but as you're in your seat, you ask your God, I want to come into your family this morning. I want to know you. I want my sins, my wrongdoing to be forgiven. And you get right with God. You receive, ask God to forgive you. Ask God to save you. And if you do that, come and talk to me at the end. I'd love to pray with you. But for the rest of us, I just want us to break bread one with another. Maybe you just need to break bread with someone you've not done so with before. And the, the team are just going to play quietly behind us and serve us in that. So come and get some bread and wine. I'm going to pray. Come and get some bread and wine and pray one with each other. Father, we want to thank you that we are in this marvellous place. We stand in Graceland, a place of grace. We didn't deserve to be here. Why would you ever have accepted us? There was nothing attractive in us. You did it because you loved us. Incredibly, what an amazing love. And you sent Jesus to die for us. Your son was rejected that we might be accepted. Father, we want to celebrate that this morning. As we take this bread and this wine, these symbols that remind us of Jesus' body broken for us, Remind us that Jesus' blood was shed for us, that our sins might be forgiven, that we might be made right with you and we might come into relationship with you and relationship with each other. Father, we just want to worship you in this. We want to worship you together. We want to join together and say thank you so much. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for your Son given for us that we might know life, that we might know what it is to be completely and totally accepted and included. Thank you so much, oh God.